On this Mother's Day, we are hearing from three mothers in our congregation. Our stories are as unique as our experiences. We aren't Hallmark card mothers who only seem to exist on sitcoms or in commercials. No, we are real world mothers with all the love and pain and mess and joy that mothering entails. Our first speaker is Ayana Gaines, me. I am a divorced mother. It seems to be a trend in my family. My parents got divorced when I was 10 and my mom's mother was divorced as well. This is something I think and wonder about, especially when I am missing my boys, which has been often during the pandemic. You see, while I consider myself an active co-parent, I only have 20% custody. To break that down, that means I get Griffin, my son who's still in school, on weekends and during the summer. My older son, Duncan, is in college. And the pandemic has cut that time down to 0% as their father believes that keeping Griffin at his home full time keeps him safe from COVID-19. So I have not had Griffin with me since March, 2020. I consider myself lucky that I have been allowed to have lunches with him on the occasional weekend day, but masked and outside in the backyard and no hugging. I understand that in many divorces, the mother gets the children or custody is shared. However, because I didn't earn as much money as their father did and could not afford to keep the house they were growing up in, I opted to move out and let them stay with their father most of the time. While it broke my heart, I felt that it was the right thing to do by them. That this doesn't mean that I love them any less. Rather, I wanted to put their needs ahead of my wants. Yet, there are often days that I wonder if I did the right thing. Am I an unnatural mother? Was I right to let their father have primary custody? How would this affect them? Would they think that I love them less? I often have to remind myself that quality is what matters. The quality of time spent with them matters a great deal. I may not be able to take them to Europe or Disneyland or Euro Disney for that matter, but I can pick up Duncan from college. I can play with foam swords with Griffin in his dad's backyard. I can text them, I can talk with them, and I can let them know how much I love them. I'd like to think that counts for something. The school district around here doesn't always take divorced parents into consideration. There have been many times when I have not received important papers or emails from the schools who viewed their dad as the sole parent. I have had to remind the schools that I exist on occasion. Advocating for myself can be uncomfortable, but it has to be done to ensure that I am seen as a co-parent. I have been known to apologize to the boys for getting a divorce from their father. 
Duncan, ever the pragmatist, tells me that it would have been worse had I stayed in a relationship that wasn't working out. I am thankful that he doesn't see me as a, the boogeyman in his childhood. As for Griffin, he seems to understand. He gives me hugs. I can't wait until the summer. Their dad has promised that Griffin can stay with me for most of it. It won't make up for the time lost, but I will still enjoy having my boy with me. Even as a divorced mom, I find that there are things to look forward to. Griffin's 14th birthday, Duncan returning home from college for a brief sojourn before he goes to Maui to stay with his grandparents for the summer. The boys getting to see my mom, their grandma Denver, for the first time since New Year's 2020. And most importantly, I can't wait to hug my boys. And now we have a video from Andy Fletcher. You know, sometimes you think something's going to go one way and then it goes another. That's been my experience as a mother. My own mom was a result of generations of unhappy women. And so my views on motherhood were a little skewed getting started. I always knew if I did have children, I would break the tradition of how children were treated in our family and I would do things differently. But that type of loving parenting was a mystery to me. Thankfully, once my kids came along, they and a group of wonderful women, both at Chalice and in the wider community, taught me how to be a kind, compassionate, loving mother. When I was 29 and Savvy was born, I had no idea how to care for a child I've never even babysat. But they let me bring her home from the hospital. And as she developed into a toddler and then into a child, she had a lot to teach me. When she was four or five, she told me she'd be needing a baby sister and that I should get to work on that right away. It didn't happen right away, but after her sixth birthday, she got her wish, although it was a baby brother and Spencer was born. She was in heaven. She adored him from the minute she laid eyes on him. As they grew, I think the most important thing we learned was to really listen to their needs. By the time Savvy was in second grade, she was miserable at school. We'd seen it building for a while, so we decided to just homeschool her till the end of the semester. Brian wasn't so sure it was a good idea at the time, but after a couple of months, we saw the children flourishing and he was on board. Now, this wasn't pandemic homeschooling. As a matter of fact, we were rarely at home. The kids were able to explore their interests, meet people from all walks of life. We all learned alongside each other. They taught me more, more than I ever taught them. When Savvy was 12 and Spencer was 15, I was reaching the end of my limits in subjects such as uh, science and math. So off they went to the community college. At first I went with them, but after a very short time, they told me, we've got this mom. And so it was becoming evident that my fun-filled days at the park and our field trips were coming to an end. When Spencer was 10 and Savvy was 16, I became a mother again, although not the usual way when Savvy started dating Asa. He was a wonderful addition to our family and has always been a loving brother to Spencer. In other teens, I could see they were growing into truly special people who would make a difference in the world. So we continued to listen to their needs. This meant spending long hours at the courthouse in LA and Ventura, 
listening to mundane everyday court cases, attending choir festivals and community theater productions, delving into the world of politics and social justice, going to rallies, working on political campaigns, learning about art, music, and woodworking, always listening to their needs as they grew and changed. And then in the blink of an eye, they were off to college and out on their own. My job isn't done. What we've learned on this journey will stay with all of us and hopefully with future generations to come. Thank you, Andy, for your wise words. And now we will hear from Sam Dickinson. Dickerson. I'm sorry, Sam. That's okay, Ayana. I know you know who I am. <laughs> yes, I do. This is our little family. Dana with her pink hair, me, Sam, and my sunglasses, and our sweet angel, Joy. Dana is Joy's birth mom, and I came along when Joy was three, and through a series of events, it eventually whittled down to just the three of us, a powerful, happy trio. I can't say I was ever really comfortable with a label of mom for myself. Caregiver, best friend, co-parent, member of Joy's posse, yes to all of the above. It was a pretty common scene in our uncommon family unit. I would walk in and Joy would be so happy to see me. And Dana would say, see, you're the favorite. To which I would reply, but your mom. Dana would follow that with her famous dramatic eye roll. And then Joy would grab my face and turn it toward her, in her and say in her own special way, hey, you're here to see me, remember? I share that because no matter what anyone thought, in my mind, Dana was the favorite, the pinnacle, because she was Joy's mother. I, however, I was the wingman, the, the wacky neighbor who'd come swinging in, the comic relief, or just the relief, period. But mom, no, 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 I felt that was an honor for Dana to hold, not me. That is, until Joy died. It is an unbearable, indescribable pain to lose your child. You can't breathe. Your heart seems to be literally tearing itself into pieces. Every cell inside your body is screaming. And this is just a tip of the iceberg. You have loved someone so completely that all you can do is be in complete pain and it never goes away. 
it becomes a chronic pain that you learn to live with. Being a mom to Joy, I guess, didn't really truly click inside my head until I started attending a mother's bereavement group. Being among mothers who had also lost their child, I felt welcomed, understood. It was not that I had never been acknowledged as a mom. Dana certainly told me Happy Mother's Day plenty of times over the years. She told it to me yesterday. But it, it wasn't until I was among this very exclusive group that I was able to acknowledge myself as a mom. It's through my experience in raising Joy that I realized the job of mothering does not fall under one distinct category. Many of us fall under this umbrella. It is the teacher who brings a coat to the child who is freezing in the winter time. The neighbor who brings home-cooked meals to the latchkey kid while their parents are working a double shift. The strangers on the plane who take turns to rock the crying baby so that an exhausted parent can sleep. And I'm sure each of you has been witness to an act similar to these. These are acts of mothering. This is certainly to not take anything away from the moms of these children. It is to add to the richness of this community of mothers. I am a believer in the village, that we are here to raise these children together, whether it is in a moment or for a lifetime. We all make impacts on the life of a child. We all perform acts of mothering. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not comfortable with the moniker of mom. And that's okay. I'm okay with it. While Joy was alive, I usually introduced myself as Joy's bestie. In death, I tell people of my child. No matter the title, I always gave Joy my love, a mother's love. I still do. And what a blessing that she received that twofold from me and Dana. And I will forever be grateful to Joy for showing me that I have been capable and worthy enough to be a mom to her. Wow. Sam, thank you so much for sharing about your relationship with Joy and with Dana. Our stories are so unique, yet they share the common thread of mothering, as Sam said. This thread of mothering ties us to you, to our friends, our birth and chosen families, and to humanity itself. 
the thread may be worn in some places, but fortunately, it's as strong as steel in others. And we can see that in our stories. Thank you for letting us share our stories. <laughs>